Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Justice correspondent Pete Williams, who's outside the court. What are they saying there, Pete? Well, just a couple of weeks after the Supreme Court decided a case involving a Colorado baker by saying that he got a raw deal in the lower courts and throwing his case, uh, ruling it for him in a very narrow way. This is a baker who refused to serve a same-sex marriage. Today, the Supreme Court threw out a lower court ruling against a Washington state florist who refused to provide flowers for a same-sex wedding, saying that it would violate her religious principles and interfere with her relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what the court did is vacate the lower court ruling or race, toss out the lower court ruling against her and send the case back with instructions to the Washington state courts to derive lessons from the court's ruling in the Colorado Baker case, to which I think many people would say, good luck with that. Because when the Supreme Court ruled in the Colorado Baker case, it sort of dodged the question of how to balance these competing interests of, on the one hand, gay rights, and on the other hand, religious freedom. So it tossed the court of the case back to the Washington state courts. Now, it's good news for the florist because it wipes out a ruling against her and the, the, the state and the couple's gonna have to start all over again. Mm. Uh, and uh, who knows how it's gonna come out this time. But it is, I think, good news for the Washington state florist, although what it means for the larger issue of balancing gay rights and religious freedom is anybody's guess. Welcome back to Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's great to be with you today. Happy Monday to you. And you know what? It's a great day to be alive, to be an American, to go pump some gas, to go order some food or to eat at home. I, I recommend it. Um, not that we shouldn't be able to go out and enjoy a meal at a restaurant, but sometimes it's just best to cook something at home, th throw something in the crock pot. And when you come home from work, it's all ready to go and it's healthy and less fat, less sodium. And you enjoy the, the good uh, ambiance of, of the dwelling place that the Lord has given to you. And that could be a good place as well. There may be, uh, you know, kind of interesting times ahead for us where we need to be a little more cognizant of where we're eating, uh, you know, as, as, as this thing goes forward. I'm hoping it'll get better. Uh, but if it gets worse before it gets better, we have to make wise choices. So I want people to kind of keep that in the forefront of their mind. Also, I want to clarify I said some very complimentary things about Mitt Romney. I'm talking about his personal life, his family, uh, with his wife and his children and his grandchildren. Politically speaking, uh, he's having trouble getting the nomination so that he can go in the Senate in Utah because he stated that his goal for going in there uh, to the U.S. Senate for, uh, for, the, for the state of Utah is that he wants to oppose President Trump. I can't agree with that. I, I, re I really feel like it's a misplaced ambition for him. It's almost as if he's playing like whack-a-mole. Can't be, um, you know, he was the governor. Now he's like, well, I can't be the president. Well, now I'll just be a senator. How about just being a granddad? You know, that's how I feel about it. He's really good at that too. So he's, he's a great family man. I, I, I think he's better in that role. But, you know, he'll do, he's going to do what he wants to do. So uh, you're just listening to this. It, this is another interesting Supreme Court decision. You remember when the decision uh, for Masterpiece Cake Shop came down, we had a number of people come on the show and kind of give us some analysis. I, I shared with you what I was able to glean. And it really was kind of a hollow victory because they used the bias that was exhibited from this Human Rights Commission in Oregon. Uh, the, the bias was so strong and obvious that they basically threw the case to Mr. Phillips 
based upon that bias, that he was treated improperly by his government. His right to practice his religion freely was infringed upon by the government, at the state government, and therefore the ruling was improper. They didn't really come down on one side or the other about the religious freedom aspects of the case. And so this is still going to have to be decided because people who said at one point, remember, we were all told this love is love. And all we want to do is be able to love. Well, then it was, we want to be able to love in public. Well, then it was, we want to be able to love and marry like everybody else. Well, now they have a Supreme Court ruling giving them the right to marry. And now it's, we want to be able to compel people to serve us. See how it never, it's not just a slippery slope. It's um, a a slide out in the hot, hot sun made of aluminum. And it's coated with uh, uh, mayonnaise. And you're being forced to go down it at top speed. Rocks at the bottom. That's what this is. It's never going to end. They'll never be satisfied until everyone takes a knee in subservience to their sexual control. And it's never going to happen. You're never going to be able to get the entire country to agree with anything, let alone whether or not they should be forced to bake cakes and do flowers and stuff like that. And I just told you last hour, just in case you're just tuning in, welcome to the show. Glad to see you. Glad to be with you. You do have the right to refuse to serve someone. It's horrible. Nobody wants to experience that feeling, but you do have the right to do that as long as you're not basing it on innate characteristics that are uh, protected by federal law, discrimination law. So if someone doesn't want to serve someone because they got on a Trump t-shirt, it's not unlawful. I don't know where, how far you want to go. I mean, what, what, what kind of world do you want to live in? But I mean, if you're only going to go by what's lawful, well, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. That's how that works. So this is an interesting case. They're, they've remanded the case back to the lower court. The lower court will now have to basically re-rule on this, so re-adjudicate it using the Masterpiece Cake Shop as a precedent. We'll see what happens. I think it's gonna they're going to rule incorrectly and it's going to bounce back to the Supreme Court, but I have no crystal ball. That's just what my gut says. Now, last segment, we were talking about Representative John Ratcliffe, and he was explaining how the Strzok deposition could impact the legal legal jeopardy for Comey, McCabe, Lynch, Brennan, and Clapper. We didn't finish that audio out, so I want to close that segment out of the show uh, with Radcliffe, too. So do you think the special counsel should should finish? Well, Maria, I have been one of the few Republicans who has really not questioned the integrity of Bob Mueller. I have tried not to do that. But this, again, is not a reflection on Bob Mueller. This is a reflection on the evidence that he was handed. For nine months, you have the most biased, hateful, prejudiced people making the decisions, collecting the evidence, implementing the investigative plan. Listen, um, I've heard what Hillary Clinton has said about Donald Trump, and I've read every text message uh, that Peter Strzok and these others have said about Donald Trump. I think if Hillary Clinton had been in charge of the Trump-Russia investigation, the level of bias and prejudice wouldn't have been any higher. Mm. So those are things that Bob Mueller ultimately is going to have to uh, persuade the American people. You know, maybe he's a lot better lawyer than I am, but I was never able to stand in front of a jury and explain away, yeah, the person in charge here hated the defendant, uh, was biased and prejudiced against him. But none of that impacted the actions that he took in collecting the information. So that's a pretty tough, that's pretty tough to do. So it it is pretty tough to do. And, and the tape, the case is tainted, but the rub here is that this is a special counsel investigation. There is no, like, there's no judge per se. The, the formatting is much different because of, of where it's 
emanating from and, and the reason that it was impaneled. But if you take it to its logical conclusion, you could say that the really the entirety of it, including the appointment of the special counsel, once you look at what they've said about uh, Jim Comey and his bias and, and the others and, and Jim Comey's uh, insubordinate behavior, you get to a place where you're kind of like, how can we even go any further with it? Because all of it is poisoned by the bias and the improper motives and wrong actions that were taken that predicated the special counsel appointment. Another thing Democrats don't want to discuss, they'd rather discuss the border. Come on, I'll just do this all day, right? (laughs) So I want to talk to you about how to pray about this. Um, And then we're going to get into the taxpayer-funded dorms and the racial differences in police shootings. I got a ton of stuff for you today, every every topic. Um, So what we can do when we see something like this going on, what's happening all over the country, is we can pray about it. Now, there are people have actually said this to me. Well, praying is just like, that's like doing nothing. You only say that if you've never had your answer, your prayers answered, or you don't recognize answered prayer. If you've prayed something and had your prayers answered, then you know that prayer works. And not only does it work, it moves God for us. So it, it moves the hand of God for us. And what we're looking for here is justice. I don't know anybody who supports strong borders and the wall who is a Trump supporter, who also thinks that it's a good thing that we have 12,000 children down there who are being, some the, the bulk of them, 10 plus thousand are unaccompanied and the other 2,000 are some of them tiny little nursing babies and they're not with their parents because the parents have broken the law. I don't know anybody who thinks that's good. I don't. I don't know anybody who wants to see this continue. What people want is to see the magnet that draws people to our southern border eliminated so that these children don't have to experience these hardships. That's what people want to see. How can we get there? Obviously, we're relying on government, which is our tool to do it, but we have to pray about it as Christians. We're called to pray. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to move these situations. And and prayer is the answer. It might feel like you're doing nothing, but that's the beauty of prayer. You don't have to be in a certain mood for your prayers to be answered. You don't have to feel a certain way or pray a certain way, or make a certain noise, or be loud, or be super soft. You don't have to have, there's, there are no parameters around prayer. It can be silent. It can be loud. It can be full of tears. It can be full of joy. It can be the most bland thing you've ever experienced, but it's still operational. It's functional, and it goes to the Father. So I'm back in Ephesians 4, and I want to give you a sample of how we can pray about this And this is not your 30 minutes, you're on your knees, you're sweating, you know, you have to take time out of your day that, that, that you, you know, you're busy, you don't have, you don't have 30 minutes. That's not what this is. This is a minute or less. So in Ephesians 4, under the heading instructions for living, which is awesome, it says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life God has because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You can stop right there. This is how we can pray for this situation using the scripture. 
we can say, straight, Heavenly Father, please help us. Please help our nation. Please turn our nation back to you. We're praying for justice, and we're praying for the law to be followed at our southern border. We're praying for solutions to the problem that's presented there, and we're praying for the safety and well-being of every person who is currently being detained from adult all the way down to the tiniest baby. We're asking you for us to regain our sensitivity as a nation, that we would not be taken over by sensuality, that we would not be greedy, but instead we would be generous. And that in you, we would live in accordance with the truth and we would be taught and learn that we are to put away our old self and to live and walk in our new selves created to be like God, righteous and holy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And that's it. What was that? 60 seconds or so? Now you're ready to hit the day and you've prayed about something that is a real issue for us as a country that is really dividing everyone and, and everyone's talking about it, but no one's doing the one thing that we can all do because I, I don't know very many people who have the time or the resources to travel down to the border. And what would you do when you got there? I don't know very many people who have the time or the resources to, you know, invite five or six people into their home from the border. I mean, this is the reality is we're all living and making our way ourselves, but prayer is our sword and we can speak to God and move his hand on our behalf for these situations. And so I'm encouraging you to do that. Um, and any, any piece of scripture, you can take it. And after you've read through it, just go to the father and read that scripture back to him. And that's something that also, if you're, if you want to know more about doing that, the book is growing in prayer by Mike Bickle. You guys have heard me talk about it before. If you want to know how to do this, like a master, like a boss, read that book. There's a chapter in there. There's more than one chapter in there about pray, reading the scripture and getting from just reading scripture to kind of, it, it goes into you. It stays with you. And then you pray it back to God, which is, it, it's mighty and powerful for the tearing down of strongholds and, and bringing together of people and the unity that we need to achieve. Um, so I want to give you guys, listen, we've got this interesting, interesting little, um, what is he thinking? It's Representative Benny Thomas, Democrat from Mississippi, introducing a bill that would ban members of Congress from sleeping in their offices and would change the tax code to allow House members to deduct their spending on housing up to $3,000. The deduction would not apply to senators. He also proposed turning a vacant building near Capitol Hill into apartments for House members that the taxpayers would pay for. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. He gets $178,000 a year and he still needs us to pay for his living arrangements. When we get back, we'll have Richard Lim, creator of This American President podcast. Stay there. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, we only go to the Holy Land once a year, and that's in March. Last year, we filled up several months in advance. So if you want to go in March of 2019, it's time to look at the details. You can get a brochure from us at 800-FAMILIES, 1-800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5. 
and leave us your name and your telephone number or go to twholyland.com, twholyland.com. It's going to be a wonderful time in Israel. We'll go to the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Holy City of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Masada, the Dead Sea, and on and on the list goes. If you'd like to go with us in March of 2019, all the information is available at twholyland.com. Order a brochure by calling 800-FAMILIES, option 5. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. This summer, we will certainly hear that the warmer temperatures demonstrate that we are headed for a climate doomsday. That is why Vijay Jarawaj wrote an article with a provocative title, Why Climate Doomsday Won't Happen This Summer. I suppose his predictions could be as accurate as any of the others we've heard. He has four points. First, the world just experienced one of its coldest recorded winters in history. Cities like New York registered record snowfall. Many cities in the U.S. and Canada broke 80-year record lows. And even the U.K. experienced snowy conditions well into spring. He is quick to acknowledge that a cold winter doesn't guarantee a mild summer, but he believes that we might at least remind ourselves that global temperatures have not been increasing in the way we've been warned in the media. Second, global average temperature is rising, but it isn't even as close to the rate claimed by climate alarmist. At the very least, it would suggest that the climate computer models are missing key data and information. If the models don't model reality, something must be off. At least that was the conclusion we reached when I was in graduate school doing computer models and simulations. Third, carbon dioxide emissions are not the primary driver of global temperatures. The last two decades constituted the highest increase in carbon dioxide, yet the rate of global temperatures was lower than in previous decades. And finally, the Arctic and Antarctic ice masses are stable. Alarmists talk about the Arctic melting because the Antarctic ice mass is increasing. In fact, even the Arctic mass is stable, and it's worth mentioning that the polar bear populations are stable. These are just a few facts to remember the next time you hear someone in the media predicting an imminent climate doomsday. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. If you go to Instagram, you'll see that I have tried my hand at a garden again. I'm, I'm not so bad with the plants. Like I can do... Uh, potted plants. I have a, a huge amount of plants in pots in our garden, but I also have a new area that we tore a wall down. I told you guys about it. And behind it was a couple of landscaped areas that we've since cleaned out and put some plants in. And the deer have been eating my plants. So I've been spraying the Bobex. And then while we were out getting some dirt at the Walmart, they had some huge green bell pepper plants and tomato plants. So I bought one of each and I've already eaten a bell pepper off of one of the plants and it was amazing. And then I have some, I have a picture up on my Instagram of the tomato plant. The tomatoes are still green, but they're growing. The last time I tried a tomato plant, I got one tomato off of it. I don't know what I did wrong, but it only gave me one tomato. And it was so disappointing that I didn't try for a while. So I'm back in the game. So you guys can check it out at, on uh, the Instagram at Stacey on the right. So now it's my pleasure to welcome Frequent guest in the program and fan favorite. Oh, my goodness. People love it when we have our next guest on. It's Richard Lim, creator of This American President podcast, former White House presidential uh, political appointee from the Bush administration and an author and national security commentator. 
Richard, thank you for joining in today. Thank you. It's good to be here. You said fan favorite, so I feel the pressure. <laughs> well, no pressure. Most people just, it doesn't matter what subject you're covering. It's the stories, you, you have a way of bringing the past, stuff we didn't know, all the way right here, right now. And you pin it to what we're going through. And it's like, but every time I interview you, I'm like, I leave the conversation thinking, hmm. And I thought this was new. <laughs> well, well, thank you. It's an honor to, to be on your show. And, uh, you know, we, we just released an episode on James Polk. It was a two-part episode. And it's fascinating because it deals with a time in American history when Americans were illegally breaking into Mexican territory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I knew you were going to do this. So tell us. Tell us about this time when Mexico was the goal instead of vice versa. Right. Well, you know, there was a long time when American history was taught in a certain way where American pride was encouraged. Um, and, you know, at the same time, there were good and bad things to that. Obviously, sometimes uh, the bad things were definitely papered over. And it's, it's been a good thing that we try to study American history more balanced. But unfortunately, sometimes they take it too far and basically make America the villain all the time. Um, and obviously, when you study these things, it's way more complicated. Um, and, you know, when Mexico became independent in the 1820s, there were things that it did that got it in a lot of trouble. And that's a big reason why the Mexican-American War started. Nowadays, historians make it look like it was this uh, American imperialistic move. And quite frankly, a lot of people in Mexico learned that that's the history of it. America was just this imperialist country. But people don't realize that a lot of times when Americans traveled to Mexico in that time, they were harassed, they were kidnapped, they were imprisoned unlawfully, or even killed. And the United States tried to arbitrate that and uh, have restitution, but Mexico was not negotiating in good faith. And eventually a war broke out, and that was under President James Polk. And if I could just say about James Polk, he's a one-term president. Most Americans don't know anything about him. But he promised four things that he was going to do, and he accomplished all four of them and stepped down after, after just one term. So if you want to talk about a politician that delivered, James Polk is one of them. Now, what did he promise to do, the four things? What were they? So the first thing he promised to do was acquire California. The second thing he, he promised to do was to settle the Oregon Territory, which was split between America and Britain. The third thing was to lower tariffs. Um, you know, the world was becoming more free trade. And the fourth thing he, he promised to do is establish an independent treasury. He accomplished all four things. And, and you know, the Mexican-American War is, is fascinating because it's the war that brought open the slavery issue, which then led to the Civil War just about a dozen years later. So really, I mean, obviously there are good and bad things that resulted from the Mexican-American War, but you... you you can't deny the importance that it has for our country's history. Say, say Polk doesn't, um, you know, wage the Mexican-American War. Maybe the Civil War doesn't happen in the 1860s. Maybe Lincoln and Grant and Lee and none of those guys are in our history books. I mean, it's the implications are astounding. Hmm. You're right because I I think the Mexican-American War is one that obviously I've heard of it before. I'm sure I studied it in school, but it was kind of 
like, you know, a paragraph. You, you remember uh, sure. the history books back in high school <laughs> and in middle school. Yeah. They would cover an entire topic in a paragraph. It wouldn't even be the whole half of a column of one page. It would be the Mexican-American right. War. It started this time. It ended at this time. So many lives were lost. It was fought over this. And then you go to the next paragraph right. and they're on something else. So I, I think right. one of the things you pointed out that is so it, it fascinates me to no end is, number one, that we wouldn't kind of lionize. And when I say we, I mean people like myself were on the right, that we wouldn't kind of lionize and elevate the profile of President Polk because he was the kind of guy who mm-hmm. said, look, I'm only doing these four things. When I do them, right. I'm done. I don't like this job. I don't like the power. It's not my thing, but mm-hmm. I do have something I want to do. We need to lionize mm-hmm. that because we need more people to have that kind of attitude towards government. Absolutely. You know, Polk was known for being, most people don't remember Polk because he wasn't charismatic. Uh, he was really a workhorse. He came into office, the youngest man ever elected. He was 49 years old. He left office, uh, you know, four years later at the age of 53. And he had worked himself to death to win the war and acquire all that territory. And he died just three months after he left office at 53. I mean, he really, he really sacrificed himself for the, the, the country. Um, but, you know, one thing I, I want to emphasize, too, is that, you know, they portray Mexico as this victim. But as I mentioned before, there were all these claims of, you know, because U.S. citizens were getting abused and killed. And Mexico was so corrupt and so unstable that people wanted to leave. I mean, that's why Texas left. You know, in a 50-year period, uh, America had 13 peaceful transitions of power from one president to another. In that same period of time, Mexico had 75 transitions of coups, uh, you know, uh, just violence breaking out, civil wars. And they were so corrupt and autocratic. And it's really not surprising people wanted to leave. That's why Texas left and said, hey, you know, we can either stay with this horrible, corrupt government or we could go to this democratic government that is prosperous and rising, you know, going to be a world power. You can't blame people for wanting to leave Mexico. And that's the way it is today, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you are also uh, an author, national security commentator. And I know you've mm-hmm. seen what's going on down at the border. And I just, so first of all, I, ha- I, ha- I have to say this because I've already been accused of not caring about the children down there. I, it's not that I don't care about the children who were brought here illegally by their parents. It's that I care right. more for the parents who've lost children to illegal immigrant, you know, killings. And mm-hmm. of course, any person can kill any other person. But should we prioritize bringing people in who have a higher rate of criminality or more of a chance of killing our citizens? Or should we seal the border and have merit-based immigration. I, I really believe in the latter. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. what you think is the solution, because um, we can all have mm-hmm. opinions all day about what's going on down there, but what's the solution sure. to, to end the magnet that brings so many people here? What does the American government do? You've seen so many in, in your study of history and our presidents. You've seen so many mm-hmm. really wickedly creative solutions to problems and people who just gutted it out like President Polk did, just got it done. Sure. How do we solve this sure. thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend that it's something I could just solve in like a minute. But sure. one thing I will say is that people are not talking about just the, the negative consequences of having lawlessness on the border. One of my friends, he works uh, or he knows people that do border patrol, and he talks about just 
the, the fact that the border isn't enforced and how that allows so many horrible things to happen to these families. And it facilitates these kids getting, you know, put in the hands of human traffickers and all that stuff. And so people don't talk about how border security actually is part of, of the humanitarian issue. You know, they only talk about it as, you know, oh, if you have, uh, if you enforce the law, you know, you're causing all these horrible problems. Well, what about the fact that the law isn't being enforced and the fact that this is a humanitarian problem because of that? You know, people don't talk about how law and order is a prerequisite for security and for prosperity and for the good of, of you know, people that want to come here. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult question. I mean, I mean I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert, but I think that that's an important insight to have before you need to change the narrative because right now the narrative is that, you know, if you're not for open borders, you hate families, you're racist, and you hate human rights, right? And we need to start changing that narrative. I agree. And I think um, it's hard to change when the... So there's been just publicly, they're admitting, CNN and MSNBC have said that they will help the Democrats with the narrative around immigration, meaning they'll bring people who are Democrats onto their you know networks and they'll allow Mm -hmm. them to say things that what I'm finding is that People are saying things that aren't true. Um, and so sure. th- th- that makes it hard for Americans to make a decision, because if you're a drive by news consumption person like most Americans are and you're just getting, you know, 10 minutes of news here, yeah. 20 minutes of news there, then you're going to think, wow, Trump is Hitler. Uh, Sarah Huckabee mm-hmm. Sanders and Kirsten Nielsen are Hitler's handmaidens. And these people have to be unseated. We have to get the Democrats in there so we can impeach President Trump. But the, the truth mm-hmm. is, this is the same policy that's been going on since Bill Clinton and the reason mm-hmm. is because of the Flores decision, which is, you know, there, there's nothing yep. new here. Just just like when you come right. on and tell us all these great facts about the presidents <laughs> and we realize, oh, so people have been trying to get it. Well, at, at first we were trying to get into Mexico until we realized that we were getting killed down there. And then Americans were like, right. hey, why don't we, you know, leave? And, and Mexicans, they were technically Mexicans back then, the state of Texas. They were like, this is no mm-hmm. good. We want to be a part of America. And they left the biggest leaving right. probably that they've ever had. Nothing new right. here. Right. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that one of the terrible things is that there is a greater ability than ever before to exploit outrage. You know, I mean, the media, there's always been fake news. You know, if, if our podcast episodes, we cover different elections and there, there's always fake news because people have an incentive to lie. But the difference is that now you know, these quote-unquote legitimate news sources, the big ones that you can, you know, the, that everyone used to trust, they're the ones that are actually, they've turned it into an outrage machine where you're supposed to be outraged, you know, and they, they always blame Trump for not being nuanced. But if you look at the way they're reporting what the administration's doing, it's not nuanced at all. It's it's the narrative that, you know, Trump is racist. And, but, you know, the, the good thing I, I'm noticing is that it says something that people are trusting the media less because they can see through it. And, you know, they're showing polls that Trump's poll numbers are about as good as Reagan's and Obama's were at this point in their presidencies, of course, both of them being two-term presidents. And that being the case, I think that a lot of these things just aren't sticking. I think a lot of people... One thing I want to say, there was an article on the front page of the New York Times, the New York Times, and they were interviewing people that, you know, aren't in love with Trump, but they're saying, you know what, I don't love Trump, but guess what? The way the media treats him, it makes me want to support Trump. Mm. (laughs) 
And that gives me faith that there are people that they, they don't just digest the news. They start to see through it. They start to see through the agenda. And I think the American people are a lot more sophisticated than I think a lot of these media folks are or they think they are. You know, and I very, very well uh, put. I, I have to say, Richard, when when I look at the reaction, you know, so there's there's that silent group of Americans who they're not even really drive by media people. They might read all of their news. You know, they go online and get it or what have you. And they're they're, mm-hmm. they're not the kind of people who would typically support Donald Trump, not because of, the, you know, right now I'm talking about from the beginning when he announced his presidency because he was a reality mm-hmm. television person and, you know, for, in their opinion, sure. not serious for political things. But right. then there becomes that kind of underdog thing. I mean, it's proven all mm-hmm. over the, the world. It happens in True. elementary school. You know, the one who mm-hmm. is the bully ends up being the one everyone mm-hmm. hates because the victim, you know, sure. people rally around the victim. And so what happens is you might see Trump as a very unsympathetic character. You may not like the way he speaks or you might find him too rough or, or coarse. But then you sure. see the way he's treated in the media. That that most recent cover of Time magazine, was it? The red cover oh where... So they literally photoshopped him into a scene that he never, like he was never there. So, right. you know, and the little girl was never separated from her mom. So in, right. in that instance, the the part of you that believes in justice and truth is going to immediately feel more sympathetic towards him. And it's almost like oh, yeah. as horrible as the lies are, Richard, you almost wish mm-hmm. for more of them because it's it's. Second term Trump almost guaranteed if they keep this up. It's amazing how yep. detrimental it is to their cause. It, it's true, you know, and I, I think that, you know, we always we've talked about how out of touch, um, you know, liberals are. But I, I think that the Democratic Party just doesn't seem constitutionally able to not bring identity politics into things. You know, it, it's it, that's the way the party is run. That's the way it's made up. It's more about groups than than as a country as a whole. And so the way I see the Democrats reacting to Trump, it isn't the the, the way they should react. It, it isn't the, well, we lost an election. Let's look at why. Maybe it's because we need to understand what Americans care about, that they have legitimate concerns, that they're worried about the future and, and their kids' future. Instead, it's racism, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, obviously racism and all those things play a role, but it, it isn't from the perspective of let's all, as Americans, come together. It's let's pit each other against each other. And the Democrats, they, they just haven't learned from that. And I, I don't see if that's the way they're going to run in 2020, 2018. I, I think they're going to alienate a lot of people. Mm. And and that's straight from Richard yeah. Lim when you have a good record of pinning the past to the present and drawing the conclusions, which we love. Richard Lem, creator of This American President podcast, former White House political appointee in the Bush administration. Thank you for joining in today. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. Um, We're going to be back with more. We're going to talk about this government reorganization. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I totally am. I'm into organization. So stay there. Why does AFA keep harping on the dangers of the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why? 
It's because we've looked into the eyes of the mother of a teen suicide victim. Patrice Bright was mom to a normal, happy 14-year-old cheerleader dealing with the challenges any teenager faces. But her outlook on life was apparently darkened after she binge-watched season one of 13 Reasons Why. Anna Bright chose to deal with her temporary teen problems with the permanent act of suicide. Several other teens and young adults have made the same choice after watching this show which glorifies suicide. The American Family Association and others have pointed out the dangers of the program to Netflix. But apparently motivated by money, Netflix has just released season two. Our hope is to save teen lives by getting Netflix to pull the series before another tragedy occurs. You can learn more and sign the 13 Reasons Why petition at afa.net. Coming next week on The Dwelling Place, Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place. Physicians keep learning after medical school in order to better save lives. Shouldn't Christian leaders keep learning to better save souls? Hi, I'm Dr. John Nyhoff, President of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and online around the world. Are you a Christian leader who thinks it's important to keep learning? WBS online weekend and evening classes allow graduate students to become better equipped to make disciples in a constantly changing world. For more information, visit wbs.edu. This is Just a Minute with Stacy Washington. Since the latest school shooter in Texas didn't use the boogeyman of choice, the AR-15, gun grabbers are using another tactic, fear-mongering. But are American public schools more dangerous? Bureau of Justice Statistics data show that American schools are safer than ever. Since the peak of violence in 1993, when there were 200 assaults per 1,000 students, violent acts have dropped dramatically across all tracked categories. So why lie about it? because focusing on the frequent but still rare incidences of school shootings can be used to motivate voters. Only cultural change can actually save lives. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, it's power, love, and self-discipline. Pray over your kids and plug into their schools. It's time to put God back into education, not fear. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at stacyontheright.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. One of the things we learned was that it has been almost a hundred years since anybody really reorganized the government at this type of scale. It's been since FDR and his New Deal, where he changed the way the government worked. And we haven't changed it very much since then, which means we're almost uh, 20% into the 21st century, but we're still dealing with a government that is from the early 20th century. Um, this leads, Mr. President, to some bizarre results. Um, in fact, the stories you don't know where to start. Um, right now, um, because of the Byzantine nature of the way that we regulate in this, in this, in this country, um, if you have a cheese pizza, uh, you make a cheese pizza, that is governed by the United States Department of Agriculture. No, it's the other way around. I always get these backwards. If you make a cheese pizza, it's governed by the Food and Drug Administration. If you put a pepperoni on it, that's governed by the USDA. If you have a chicken, 
it's governed by the USDA. If that chicken lays an egg, it's governed by the FDA. But if you break the egg and make it into an omelet, that is now covered again by the USDA. If you have an open-faced roast beef sandwich, that's one or the other, but you put, a, put the bread on top of it, it's the other one. A hot dog, the hot dog meat is governed by one, you put it in a bun, it's governed by another. One of my favorites, uh, the, if you have a saltwater fish, you have a salmon, and it's in the ocean, it's governed by the Department of Commerce. Once it swims up river, it's governed by the Department of Interior, and to get there, it has to go up a fish ladder governed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, this is stupid. Yeah. It is. And that was Mick Mulvaney talking about reorganizing the government. Now, this what what he describes there, it's done so well. And he's he's really he's painting a picture for you of what it's like to run a business. And you might be thinking, oh, it's not that bad. Isn't it? Every bit of cost that goes into a business owner determining which governmental agency he has to deal with when he puts a piece of bread on top of a sandwich or leaves it open face for roast beef, or if the eggs that he's, he's growing the chickens, the chickens are having the eggs, that's two agencies. The, if he also runs a restaurant on the property, you add in seven or eight more agencies. And on and on it goes. And so the people who deal with the paperwork, the bureaucratic mess, the web of crazy the people who deal with that then move that cost into the cost of what you pay for the eggs or the open-faced roast beef sandwich, et cetera, et cetera. And so you might be thinking, well, I, you know, I pay $7 for that sandwich, but you could be paying five. Or I don't really, you know, I, I don't see the cost being so great. I'm really happy for you, but the costs are outstanding. They're, they're ridiculous. And any time that we as Americans can have someone in government who's willing to actually say, look, there's money that can be saved here. Less governmental bureaucracy doesn't mean that things aren't still regulated or that they're not still made safe. What it means is that the things that matter the most are the ones that are focused on by the government and only one agency focuses on it. Instead of having multiple agencies, having all of them having their fingers in the pie and doing a bad job, you have one agency working on it and doing the best job that they possibly can do, lower costs for consumers, lower costs for business owners, and in the end, you get the same regulation that you need. Because the, the misnomer is that conservatives believe in smaller government and we don't want regulation, we don't want clean air and water, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing could be further from the truth. What we do want is for it to be done in a way that's efficient, and businesses don't do that. Businesses... You go to any Fortune 500 company, any Fortune 100 company, and you're going to find that not only is it only one area that handles a specific task, but in that area, there's one person who's ultimately responsible for being sure that it gets done right. There aren't eight or nine people who are each partially responsible for it. There's one person who they're the ones who get called on the carpet if it's not done. Now, they have teams of managers, teams of of people who report to those managers and then individuals on special teams who are contractors and things like that. And they get specific tasks done. But in the end, one person is responsible in a government bureaucracy where a number of different agencies are responsible for something. That means there's no one who's really responsible for it, who can be taken to task or held accountable if it's not done right. We've seen that happen over and over again. We don't want that anymore. So it's, this is not just important work. It's, thing, it's something that the president promised to do on the campaign trail. So now 
Mulvaney goes into explaining the departmental reorganization. It's not the whole bit that he shared, but it's the most salient point. And I want you to look at what the president has proposed and then make up your mind about it. And notice it's not being covered on MSNBC. You know, uh, I mean, it's crazy. CNN's not covering it. This is a really, really important thing that they've rolled out from the Trump administration, and it deserves a clear hearing and airing before the American public. So uh, let's listen to number two. We talk about this later, about the Department of Education uh, and the Department of Labor being merged. We think that makes tremendous sense because what are they both doing? They're doing the same thing. They're trying to get people ready for the workforce. Sometimes it's education, sometimes it's vocational training, but they're all doing the same thing, so why not put them in the same place? This goes back to the work that I think Ivanka did very early on on job training when we learned that we had, uh, in fact, we don't even know how many job training programs we have. Some people think there's 40, some people think there's 46, some people think there's 47. We get it down to 16, and we put it all in one place so that if you're not happy or the next president is not happy with the way it's going, you don't have, right now, 16 different people around this table have uh, workforce training programs in their agencies. If something is going wrong, you're going to come to me and say, Mick, why aren't you doing it right? I'm going to go, no, 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 that's, that's Scott Pruitt's fault, and that's, that's Betsy DeVos's fault. When everybody's in charge, nobody's in charge. And we're solving that by putting Ed and Labor together and making them responsible and them accountable. The other two things I want to talk about, uh, two of my favorites, um, uh, examples of, of how we think we can improve things. Everybody, Democrats, Republicans, local government, state government, you, me, from the private sector, have horror stories about the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They perform some absolutely critical functions, Mr. President. There's no doubt about it. But over the course of the last century, their role has continued to creep and creep and creep, and we can do better. So the proposal today, you'll see, um, makes some important uh, changes to the Army Corps of Engineers. The thing that is written, stuff that is really defense, and there is, there are still things that uh, Army Corps does that is defense. They stay there, and they should. The things that the Army Corps does that actually help defend the nation will stay where they belong, which is at the Department of Defense. So he shares a little bit more, but the the point is that um, some agencies actually have a really good track record of handling the overarching thing that they they exist to do. But where things get a little hairy is when those agencies are tasked with taking on some things that are tertiary, not even secondary, they're tertiary to their primary function. And as we all know, that's why you have... uh, a lot more success with a cleaning company than you do with a company that cleans your house. They clean gutters. They, uh, you know, they, they clean cars, a a company that has a whole lot of those different functions that doesn't really, really have a good grip on doing them all. Well, is not as good as a company that all they do is residential or commercial cleaning. And they only have teams for that. And they only, you know, send the people out to do those specific things. So the residential teams don't clean commercial. The commercial teams don't clean residential. And you'll find that they do a better job. And it's like that with so many different things. Even restaurants. Remember Hardy's foray into fried chicken? The fried chicken was so good that they couldn't make it fast enough. And they almost went out of business because people were so dissatisfied that they couldn't get the chicken. That was the new, the new deal that they almost went out of business. They went back to their first love, which was burgers, and they're very, very successful with that. But it took them trying something new, which they were actually really good at. The chicken was amazing, but it almost put them out of business. Sometimes specialization is the jam. It's the thing that you need to do. So now I want to get into the court rejecting this abortion giant's demand for the church's emails. 
this goes back to this whole, it's nothing but a lie, a lie from the pit of hell that people want tolerance, that people want everybody to have their own uh, freedom and liberty and all of that stuff when it comes to people on the left. They don't. So you've got this federal appeals court rejecting a Texas abortion chain's demand for all private communications from the state's 23 bishops. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals granted an emergency appeal from the Texas Conference of uh, Catholic Bishops after the lower court gave the church 24 hours to hand over decades of private records to whole women's health. Now, suffice it to say, you ought to know if it's a Catholic organization that is pro-life. Why do you need to read their emails to know that? You know that they're pro-life. What else you got? But this was what it said. The preliminary ruling said, it is ordered that the emergency motion for stay filed by the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops is granted pending further order of this court. The case stems from the clinic's successful lawsuit to block state abortion reforms, which included requiring clinics to properly dispose of the remains of aborted children. Now, just one second. Why would any abortion giant fight to not have to properly dispose of the remains of human people, you know, aborted during their procedures? It's not like it's somebody else's remains. It's the remains from their own clinic. The law just required them to properly dispose of them. And they were like, nah, we ain't going to do that. We're going to dump it in the dumpster like we've been doing with everything else. You're going to change that. Do you, do you see the disgusting nature of what's going on here? There's no part of it in which you can support it and remain clean. And there's no way, I don't, I don't care what you say. There's no way you're going up to the judgment seat and you're going to be like, wait a second. Wait a second, Heavenly Father. Let me tell you why I was supporting abortion and why it was okay. You're not going to be doing that. And getting mad at me isn't going to change anything because I don't have anything to do with it. I don't get to decide what it's going to be like. I just get to read the Bible and, you know, I share what, hey, this is what it says. It's clear. So Whole Women's Health took the case all the way to the Supreme Court where the justices ruled five to four, five to four, y'all, that the law infringed on abortion rights. So forcing clinics to properly dispose of human remains infringes on a woman's right to an abortion. This is the kind of crazy we're working with right here. So the Whole Women's Health is now suing the state of Texas and sought the church communications because Catholic cemeteries arranged free burials for aborted babies following the implementation of Texas's reforms. Now, here's why this is important. If people have aborted babies, women have had abortions, and the clinic refuses to dispose of the aborted babies in a humane fashion, they just dump them in the dumpster, and Catholic priests and people who are Catholic come to the abortion facility and take the remains out of the dumpsters and put the remains into coffins and, you know, embalm them, put them in coffins and give them proper burials and have those burials on Catholic property where other people can drive by and notice how many more every day or every week or every month when they have these ceremonies. Look how many more of those tiny crosses are there than there were last month. You know, I was just, you're at, you're at lunch, at work, I was just driving by, you know, Holy Mother of, of you know, such and so and so or, you know, Parish 26 or whatever it's called. I was just driving by and I noticed that their cemetery, it used to just have, you know, a couple hundred headstones. Now it looks like there's a whole new plot that's been opened up 
And it's full of tiny little crosses, tiny little headstones. You know what's going on there? Isn't that your parish? Oh, yeah, we're we're burying the remains of aborted babies from the whole women's health clinic. Can you imagine how many women would have second thoughts about having abortions? How many women who are in the church there who, you know, you've got the teen unwed pregnancy, something like that. They're, they're going to have second thoughts because they don't want to see another headstone pop up. This is, this is the impact of treating human beings that are unborn as the people that they are. Yes, I know it is much more convenient to say clump of cells, fetus. It's much more convenient to think of it as something that's not really ever going to be a person. But the science doesn't support that, and neither does the Word of God. And that's why Whole Women's Health had to fight this order all the way up to the Supreme Court, because it is imperative to their well-being as an abortion clinic that they not have the visual of Catholic churches across the state of Texas with tiny little tombstones and headstones popping up all over the place to demonstrate just how frequently they abort babies. We're talking about 900 black babies a day, roughly 1,500 abortions a day in this country. Imagine what that looks like if just the Catholic churches, not the evangelical churches, the Methodist churches, the Lutheran churches, or any of the non-denominational evangelical churches, which usually don't have cemeteries on their property, just the Catholic churches start putting those headstones up week after week, month after month. We're talking about 958,000 abortions a year. What do you think happens then? I'll tell you what happens. The clinics get a lot less business. And God is glorified by his people stepping out in faith and doing what's right. That's the show for today. It's been a pleasure to be with you. God bless. And we'll see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.